Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. All right, uh, Ephesians 2. So last week, one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It, it's, it's by grace that we've been saved, or God's unmerited favor that we're made brought into right relationship with God. We receive this grace through faith by trusting in Jesus. It's, not, it's a gift of God. It's not of ourselves. It's not a result of works. It's not our own efforts at trying to please God. Uh, and so nobody can boast. We don't have anything to brag about. And then we close by looking at this idea that we're God's workmanship, His craftsmanship, that He's created good works in advance for us to do or to walk in. Those good works are cooperating with Him and what He's doing, which is forming a people for Himself and establishing his kingdom on the earth. Today, what we're going to look at, the next section begins with the word therefore, so it's looking back. It's saying in light of or because of this salvation, that is by grace through faith, here's some more implications of that. So again, we're, we'll that, just keep that in the back of your mind that uh, we're saved by grace through faith, gift of God, not of ourselves, not a result of works. No one has any room for boasting, and that flows right into what we're going to talk about today, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, you were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through Jesus we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In Jesus, that whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lot there, uh, we're going to just focus on uh, one or two elements of that today. So big picture, remember we said Ephesians is written primarily to Gentile churches, so majority Gentile churches. So that, that's us, majority Gentile churches. And Paul is helping uh, unpack for them this power that the Father has expressed in their life through their being spiritually born again, spiritually raised from the dead. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't just impact their relationship with God. There's also an impact in their relationship primarily with the Jews, with one another, but primarily with the Jewish people. Uh, at that point, you could have divided the world into two groups, Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is saying this grace that's been given to us doesn't just impact our relationship with God. It impacts this relationship between Jew and Gentile as well. So he first starts by saying, remember how things were. So pre-Jesus, here's what things look like. The Jews, they're the circumcision, they're near to God. You Gentiles, the uncircumcised, you're far from God. That would be the thumbnail. Jews are near, Gentiles are far away. 
In Romans 9, Paul gives some of the the advantages or the blessings of being a Jew. He says things like, yours is the adoption. Yours is the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Yours is the covenants. Yours are the promises. You've got worship at the temple. All of these privileges. And we see here in Ephesians 2 what he says about the Gentiles. It's not great. You're separated from Christ. You're excluded from Israel, the people of God. You're foreigners of the covenants. So that's the the promises, the relationship with God. You're without hope. And you're without God in the world. Pretty bleak picture. So that spiritually is where you were prior to Jesus' coming. And then he also says there's between Jew and Gentile, you'll see that circle up there. That's a hard, uh, solid line that divides them. There's a barrier. There's a wall of hostility between you. And when Paul is writing this, the temple hasn't yet been destroyed. That happens in 70 AD. Ephesians is written 60, 62, somewhere in there. And, And at that point, I think he's got in mind the literal wall around the temple. There was a wall four and a half feet tall that went all the way around the temple in Jerusalem. And the Gentiles weren't allowed to pass that wall. They weren't allowed to go through the openings. There were actually signs every so often. And it said, if you trespass, basically you're taking your life in your own hands. You're responsible for your own death, Gentiles, if you cross this line. If you walk through this opening in the wall, it's only for Jews. There's a court of the Gentiles, and that's as close as you can come. You can't get any closer to God than that. There's a literal barrier that separates the Gentiles, not just from God, but also separates them from the Jews. And some of that, honestly, it was, it was an outgrowth of, of the law. It was an outgrowth of some of the commands. It's called the Holiness Code. Some aspects of the law that did separate Jew from Gentile. And over time, that separation, it, it became more than just this physical wall. And even more than a metaphorical wall, it was filled with hostility. They just didn't like each other. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. A good Jew would wake up every morning and he would say, Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. The, the thought was God made Gentiles just to be fuel for the fires of hell. Uh, the, if you had a, a son or a daughter, if you're a Jewish family, you have a son or a daughter and they were to marry a Gentile, you'd have a funeral for your kid because of the, in your mind, that the contact they're going to have with this Gentile, it's, it's worse than death. Awful, awful relation. There's no relationship. If you're a Jew, you couldn't have a Gentile in your house. You couldn't eat with them. You didn't do anything kind to them at all. And again, feelings mutual. The Gentiles didn't like the Jews either. That was the state before Jesus And then Paul says, but Jesus comes and he preaches peace to those who are far away, to you Gentiles, and to those who are near, to us Jews. And he doesn't just preach peace, he is our peace. Peace in the New Testament has two facets. One we could call negative. It's the the absence or the removal of conflict. The absence of conflict or disharmony, that's one element of peace. And there's a positive, it's the presence of, of healthy or whole or harmonious relationship. So both aspects are peace in the New Testament. It's the absence of conflict and the presence of harmony. And Jesus is that for us. He deals with both the source of our conflict and he makes it possible for us to have whole and healthy relationships both with God and with one another. That, that work, the work of the cross, is described in several ways in Ephesians 2. You can kind of picture what's done on the cross vertically and horizontally. Paul says, Jesus' death takes care of the hostilities between us and God. By his blood, we're, our sins are forgiven. So sin is the barrier that keeps us from relationship with God. That's forgiven on the cross. We saw in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, that we all uh, are, deserve God's wrath. 
his righteous anger towards sin to Jesus on the cross, God takes his own punishment. And so that hostility is ended. The cross does that for us. It, it will reconcile, Jew and Gentile, we're reconciled to God by the work on the cross. That's why there's no bragging. There's nothing for us to brag about. It was nobody's effort. We all approach based on the, it's, it's the same ground for all of us. The work of Jesus on the cross. But that the cross also has implications horizontally. And again, Paul's thinking primarily between the Jews and the Gentiles. That wall of hostility, that barrier has been torn down because Jesus sets aside the law with its commands and its regulations. I mentioned just a second ago, a large portion of the Old Testament law you could put under the heading holiness code. That's all of the laws that for us don't make tons of sense. All the clean and unclean. Uh, that you can't wear a, a garment that's made out of two different types of material. That you can't plant two different types of seeds in your field. That you can't boil a kid in his mother's milk. And that all of these, we don't get them. And we don't understand, like, why does, why does God care? Uh, those laws, in general, were designed to separate Israel from the nations around them. God said, be holy for I'm holy. One element of holiness is to be separate from. These laws separate Israel. They make them distinct. God has chosen Israel among all the nations of the earth and said, I have a special relationship with you. You're my chosen people. And so you're going to act like it. Your, your life is going to look different. Your chosenness is going to be played out in all of these different areas of your life. Israel, you can picture Israel as a, a small nation surrounded by people that want to absorb them or assimilate them for most of its existence. There are times where Israel was... Uh, kind of moving towards the top of the, the, the food chain, but that's very rare. Usually Israel's small, surrounded by enemies. And that law helped them preserve their identity, to not be absorbed and assimilated into the other nations. It's part of what, it's what made them who they were, and to, a, to a degree, to an extent. When Jesus comes, all of those things are now set aside because he's redefined holiness. Holiness is no longer based on whether your clothes are 100% cotton or a blend. That sounds trite, or, but it's, there's, there's truth there. Holiness is no longer defined by whether or not you eat bacon. Holiness is no longer defined even by whether or not you work on the Sabbath. Even though that's something that we would still want to honor. At least the spirit of that for sure. Jesus redefines holiness. It's not about necessarily these externals. It's about relationship with him and the work of his spirit within us producing holiness. We're still to be holy. It's just our holiness rather than coming from the outside in. It's something that moves from the inside out. The inside being the Holy Spirit, nothing that we produce. And it's not that it's, quote, easier. It's actually easier to not kill somebody than to not call somebody a fool. It's easier to not commit adultery than it is to not look lustfully at a woman. It's easier to just buy 100% cotton than it is to turn the other cheek. So it's not that the requirements have lessened in that sense. They've just been redefined and pushed inward. So all of the externals have been set aside because they're no longer relevant. That's no longer how God defines his people. That's not what holiness looks like any longer. And so this wall between Jew and Gentile has been torn down. And then Paul goes on and says, so here's the great news for everybody. We all have access to the Father, Jew and Gentile, by one spirit, Jesus makes it possible for all of us to come before the Father because of his death 
And so if God's people, if it's, if God's people are, are, if it's a country, well, y'all are citizens. You're not foreigners. You're not strangers. If it's a family, a household, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're not a servant or a slave. If it's a building, you're an essential block in the wall. You're a part of this building that's built on the foundation of the teachings in the Old and New Testament. Jesus is the cornerstone. Everybody else is aligned uh, on, on him. Everything else is, is true based on its relationship with Jesus. And the point of all of it is God's making a new temple. That one in Jerusalem, that one's going out. This, this new one, it's the people of God. That's where he's going to live. We'll talk about more, more about that uh, in a few weeks. For us today, what I want to focus on is that idea of the wall of hostility and the fact that it's been torn down. And so here's my disclaimer. This is, I'm still working this out, so that's bad for y'all. So it's, this is messy, pretty ragged around the edges. And so I want you to hear what I'm saying and just know you're going to have to, like you're going to have to figure a lot of it out. Your small group, around your dinner table, and your time with the Lord. I want you, I think what I'm saying is true or I wouldn't say it. I just don't have, it's not neat in my mind yet. It's still some stuff that I'm trying to think all the way through. So that's my disclaimer. It's Labor Day. Uh, so we'll see. We'll do the best we can. So this wall of hostility, this is what I think God would say to us. I tore it down, so how come y'all are building them back? And I do think that's true. I've torn them down, so why are y'all building them back? It's not just the wall between Jew and Gentile. There's a part of us, most of us are Gentiles. And so there's a part of us that's like, well, that's not my problem. I didn't build the wall. uh, Yes, Galatians 3 and Colossians 3 list some more walls. Jew, Gentile, so that's ethnic. We use the word racial. That's actually not a biblical word. It's not super helpful. Um, ethnicity is a biblical concept. Race is not. There's a book, if you want to read about it, called One Blood by John Perkins. It's an easy read. It's a good book, kind of paints this picture of how thinking about race is not helpful for us as followers of Jesus. Ethnicity is a biblical concept. So I'm going to say race because it's ingrained in my vocabulary, but just know ethnicity is a better, it's better. So the, these ethnic walls have been torn down between Jew and Gentile. He says there's no, neither uh, circumcision nor, uh, uh, nor uncircumcision. And that's a big one for us. That's a religious distinction. And we think like, hold on. There are big differences between a Christian and a Jew and a Muslim and a Hindu and an atheist. What do you mean those walls have been torn down? Again, think about it a couple of ways. One, we all approach God. Again, we're all approaching the same way. None of us are saved by our works, by our, by our efforts to please God. So all of us, regardless of our re- religious background, we're made right in the same way. God's unmerited favor directed towards us that we receive by trusting in Jesus. We talked last week, just by sitting in the chair. And so that's level ground for all of us. Nobody's got a leg up on anybody else based on religious heritage because we all approach God the same way, by grace through faith. But I also think uh, God, uh, excuse me, Paul's talking primarily about divisions within the body in Ephesians 2. And I was thinking about that idea of circumcision and uncircumcision, which again is, uh, that's kind of an external distinction. And circumcision is an external mark. And I think within the church, I think there's 26,000 denominations in the world. That's a big number. For a long time, there was one. You're, you're just Catholic. And then There was two. There was Catholic and Protestant. Now there's 26,000. And some of those divisions we can probably, we're non-denominational. 
So I don't even know what category we fit in. We're our own thing, which may be the height of rebelliousness. I don't know. So we, gotta, we need to think it through. Have we, you know, there, there are legitimate reasons for saying, you know what, we can't, we can't walk together any, anymore. There are legitimate reasons. I don't know if there's 26,000 of them. And so I, Jesus has torn that wall down. So we need to think through, what does that look like for us? Somebody disagrees on a point of theology. Does that mean we break relationship? We build that wall back up. Somebody disagrees about baptism or communion or worship music. Do we build the walls back up because of that? Something to think through. There's no, neither male nor female. That's not talking about gender differences. Obviously, there are gender differences. Again, we're talking about in Christ. God doesn't, those, there's not better or worse. Males aren't above females. Females aren't above males. Barbarian, Scythian, those are cultural differences. Slave, free, those are both economic and social. Think about like social status, castes at that point. All of those barriers, all those walls have been torn down. And that's a glib statement. But what does that mean to actually walk that out? And I think if God were to speak to us here in Marietta, I think he'd say, here's a few more walls that I tore down. I tore down the wall between Democrats and Republicans, between conservatives and liberals. I tore down the wall between old Marietta and everybody else. I tore down the wall between anti-vax and pro-vax and anti-mask and pro-mask. All those walls have been torn down. And we build them back up. And the question is, why? If he's torn them down, one, it's because we really like walls. We actually love them. They do a lot for us. They protect us. They do. Think about the, again, the, the func- part of the functioning of the law in the Old Testament. It protected Israel's identity, and we want to do the same thing for ourselves. Those walls protect us. Walls let me know who's in and who's out. And they become shorthand for figuring out if you're a friend or an enemy. If you're a Democrat and you hear that someone's a Republican, think of the bullet points that come underneath that for you. You've pegged them already. And the same is true the other way. If you're a Democrat and you talk to someone who's a Democrat, there are bullet points that go underneath that. They're in. And we do that with all of these different categories. They help us sort people. It's shorthand. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a short, it's shorthand for figuring out who somebody is. Again, are, are they in or are they out? Are they my friend or I need to be on my guard? Do they think like me or not? We love walls. They make us feel safe and secure and they help us define our identity. And we're really, really good at building them. We see differences. It's not the fact that there's not differences. And even some of those differences are significant. But once you add our pride to that reality of differences, then that's where the walls come. Because my wall doesn't just say this is what I think and that's what you think. Pretty soon it's actually I'm right and you're wrong. And then it's I'm good and you're bad. And you see that over the course of time with Israel. These walls that were meant, this, this law that was meant, this holiness code to make them separate in order that they could then be a blessing to the nations, they never got to that part. If by the end, by the time of Jesus, they're saying, hey, here's what the Gentiles are good for, burning, then they've missed their, they've missed their mission, their purpose. 
God chose Abraham, yes. He formed a nation through Abraham, yes. But the point, Genesis 12, was to be a blessing to the nations. Israel failed. Jesus succeeded. He fulfilled fulfilled this, this prophecy, this mission, that was originally intended for the entire nation. And we're not any better than them. We do the same thing. How quickly our walls become these things and not just keep other people out, but allow us to look down and separate from. So here's a challenge for us. Two things. One, what would it look like for us to see all of these issues as opportunities for discipleship? So instead of focusing on is this right or is this wrong, but focusing on how does, do you, Lord, want to use this to make me more like Jesus? It's a different lens. You still got to decide. You got to get the shot or not. So like that, you have to make a decision. But what if we don't make that the primary point? And what if we make the primary point, God, how do you want to use this to make me more like Jesus? How might you be doing that? How might you want to use the fact that my guy won or lost to make me more like Jesus? How might you want to use the fact that I think this policy is good or bad? How, how, might you want me to, how might you want to use that to make me more like Jesus? To see everything through the lens of Romans 8.29, that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what God is always doing. We said that last week. He's always forming a people for himself. And so what does it look like for us to take everything that we encounter in our life as an opportunity for God to do just that. What is he always doing? He's always trying to make us more like Jesus. And if you think about being conformed into the image, in my mind, I I usually think about, uh, you know, a statue and God's chipping away or maybe something that he's sanding. Is sandpaper rough or smooth? It's rough. To get the rough edges off of something, you don't use a silk handkerchief. So it's going to be, that's where, that's why we like the walls. They're comfortable. If we don't have them, then it creates ambiguity for us, which is difficult. You can't tweet ambiguity. It creates this, there's these nebulous, the the boundaries aren't hard and firm and clear. It, It gets tricky. Second thing, what if instead of, again, let's not make the issue the thing, let's make discipleship the thing. And underneath that, what if instead of building walls, we tried to walk a second mile? Matthew 5, 41. If anyone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. That's not about helping your buddy move. So the idea behind that, a Roman soldier could require anybody to carry his stuff for a mile. Guess who Jews didn't like? Roman soldiers. So Jesus is saying to his Jewish audience, these guys who are oppressing you, these guys who are rude, these guys who are vicious in some ways, if they ask you to carry their gear for one mile, keep going. What would it look like for us? Again, think about that idea. Both of those things put together. If God wants to use everything to make me more like Jesus... If the things that probably tend to make me the most like Jesus are the things that I don't necess- that maybe rub me a little bit, that refine my character, building a wall is not necessarily going to help me. Going a second mile is going to. I may not enjoy it the whole stretch, but ultimately that's the kind of thing that's going to make me more like him. Now, I do think there could be a point in the journey where you have to part ways. 
I'm not trying to paper over genuine differences and disagreements. There, there could easily be a point where you need to say, we, I can't, we can't keep doing this. But I would say, even in that, there's a difference between walking away and building a wall. They're not the same thing. If we walk away, there's still opportunity at some point for reconciliation or coming back together. Building a wall makes it much more difficult. I, talk, this is, I know this is nebulous and a bit ephemeral. Just ask the Lord, what does this begin to look like in my life? Where am I building a wall? Where am I doing that? Walls that you've torn down. Now, just know this. Any wall that you've built, you feel good about. Or else you wouldn't have built it. And most likely, you can justify it or you wouldn't have done it. And so, you press through that. God, show me. Where have I built a wall? And again, if your first word is but, then that's, that's, the, that's you're justifying. Show me. Am I building walls across, am I building a wall between politically? Am I building a wall theologically? Am I building a wall in terms of COVID? Is it income? Is it, what is it? What are the walls that I'm building? Keeping other people out. Defining myself by who's in. And then the second question, and this is not um, theoretical. It's very personal. Who would God ask you to walk a second mile with? And it's not a group of people, it's a person. As you think about your life, who would God be asking you today to walk a second mile with? Someone that maybe you've separated from. Somebody who you've said, they're on the wrong side of that issue. Who would he ask you to reach out to? Go a second mile, recognizing the point is not to try to convince that person that you're right. The point is to say, all, this is discipleship. I want you to, God's going to use you to make me more like Jesus, and I hope he uses me to make you more like Jesus. i got two minutes, so here, just a story. I'm reading this book, and it's awful. It's called God and the Gay Christian. It's written by a guy named Matthew Vines. He's about 10 years old, and he's, he's, he is that. He's a gay Christian. And he's making a, what he says is a biblical case for same-sex marriage. And I'm reading it because someone I love said, hey, read this book and let's talk about it. And so I'm, I'm doing, it's hard. I, I can read like two chapters and I have to put it down because in my opinion, he's butchering the Bible. But I'm trying to stick with it and I'm not a great person. I'm just trying to stick with it. And as I'm trying, that's kind of the thing for me is... All right, so how do you want to use this relationship and this conversation with someone who I disagree with on a pretty fundamental issue to make me more like Jesus? What does it look like? For, and again, I'm not a great person, so don't, I'm not holding myself up as an example. It's just something I am trying to actually walk out some of this stuff. What does it look like for me to go a second mile or a third mile or a fourth mile or a marathon with someone who sees that issue differently than I see that issue? And to even try to engage on the level of... Now, if, if I showed you my copy of the book, you would say, you, you were building walls. There's lots of underlinings and disagrees. and Like, there's lots of that. But what would it look... And so that, that's my personal example. What, and I'm, I'm trying to encourage you, same thing. 
Where might you tend to build a wall? It's going to be in around an area where you feel like you're right. And you very well on some level like you may be. But at some point, that's not the thing. The thing is, am I becoming more like Jesus? I think about, we've talked about this before. We're still to be holy. We're holy like Jesus is holy. And somehow his holiness, it just looks different. How can people call him a glutton and a drunkard? How can they make that charge? Unless there's something about his life that would allow them to say, hey, that's true of him. We know he never sinned, so we know he wasn't a glutton, and we know he wasn't a drunkard, but somehow they could stick that label on him. They could say, you're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They could say that. So somehow his version of holiness, which is the version we need to be pursuing, it, it's, it's, it's dotted lines around the edges. Not a hard one. Somehow, he's able to navigate through these relationships and situations in a way that's drawing people in without sinning himself. And it's, it's easier to build a wall. Way easier. It's a lot easier for me to check your tag when you walk in and say, oh, you got cotton polyester blend. That's a lot easier than for me to walk with you. And for us to push and pull on what it means to love people, how that plays out, it creates cognitive dissonance, which none of us enjoy, relational tension, which none of us enjoy. Other people can get the wrong idea and put a label on you that maybe is not justified. You're reading the same stuff that I am. Division discord. Unfortunately, the church, capital C, we've contributed to, to that, at least to a degree. I think it's time for us to try another way. It could be a gift to our community, just this, this the little C church of Stonebridge. If we committed to saying, we're not going to build any more walls because Jesus tore them all down. We're going to walk a second mile. That doesn't mean that we can walk with you forever. There may be some things over which we have to break fellowship. But even if we have to break fellowship, it's still not, I'm still not building a wall. Let's pray. So those are my questions for you this morning. Where are you building the wall where you should be walking a second mile. I told you mine. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you show us? Would you remind us this great salvation that you've given to us because of your great love for us, you, Father, who are rich in mercy, while we were still dead in our sins, you made us alive in Christ Jesus. By your unmerited favor directed towards us, we've been brought into right relationship with you simply by sitting in the chair, just by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. It's a gift. It's not a result of our efforts to please you. And I pray as we marinate in that reality more and more. 
we would recognize the implications. You've torn down all the walls of hostility. God, I pray you forgive us for building them back. Oftentimes, honestly, we do it with good intentions. We think we're protecting you or we're protecting us or we're protecting those that we love. God, would you show us a better way? Would you show us what it is to walk a second and a third and a fourth mile? God, I pray that we would trust your spirit within us. We would remember that we're salt and that we're light. That darkness doesn't overcome light. That light dispels darkness. So we don't have to be afraid. God, I pray really practically for all of us, students, kids, adults, families, would you show us where we're building walls? Show us who to walk a second mile with. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to close with uh, ministry. Uh, you may have come in with something you want to pray for. We absolutely want to pray with you about whatever you have going on. If anything that I said, you could actually understand and make a point of application in your own life. We'd lo- I'd love for you to come forward. You can either kneel here or you can get prayer from one of these teams. They'll keep their masks on if you're comfortable getting prayer uh, face-to-face with somebody. Uh, if God convicted you and you know you're building a wall, I'd encourage you to come just out as an outward sign of that inward repentance and kneel and say, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Maybe God spoke to you really clearly about somebody you need to walk a second mile with and you want to, again, kind of put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to do that moving forward. We'd love to pray with you and stand with you as you take that step. It's courageous and we want to stand with you in that. So you guys respond as the Lord's leading you and Bo will dismiss us in a minute. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. Thank you.